Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm with you today, taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, as well as any prayer requests you have. And we have pastors standing by every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m., taking your calls and texts, praying for your prayer requests, and answering your Bible questions. The number to call, 303-690-3000. So give us a call at 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, that is 720-336-0897 for the text line. Uh, We want to welcome those of you who are listening today. Uh, Just a heads up, those of you listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM, you're hearing the show live today. Today is August 5th. It is a a great summer day. Looks like we might have some rain coming in where I'm at here in Longmont, Colorado. Um, But that's welcome. It was pretty hot today, so that'll be nice. And uh, we also want to greet those who are listening on the Radio by Grace network of stations that has stations all over the United States, especially in the Southern States. Um, Radio by Grace is a great network based out of Amarillo, Texas. We're really glad to be partnering with them. And so if you are listening on Radio by Grace, um, welcome to you. You're also hearing the show live today. We also want to greet those who are listening on a one-week delay. And so those would be Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those listening on Truth FM in Tennessee, and Higher Rock Radio in Idaho. So welcome to all of you who are listening on those stations. So good to have this family of listening stations, people all over the United States, but we also have people abroad who tune into this show. So I want to give a welcome to those who are listening um, on the Grace FM app, as well as on gracefm.com. And for those of you who didn't know that, you know that you can go get the Grace FM app. Just type in Grace FM as one word, no spaces in your App Store or Google Play Store for your device. And if you put that on your phone or your tablet, or if you get it on your smart speaker, then you can listen to this show and all the other great Bible teaching on Grace FM anywhere in the world um, over the internet. And so we have listeners who tune in from other places in the world, um, and we're glad that you're tuning in. We have people who listen over the internet um, in different places in the country. And so we are glad to have you tuning in. If you haven't yet got that app, do so and check us out sometime on gracefm.com. Just a few words about myself as we wait for our calls to come in. Uh, my name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We are a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church here in this great city, and it's my pleasure to get to host this show every Friday. Now, for the past few weeks, I haven't been able to host the show. A couple times I was traveling. I was traveling in Europe and then um, had some pastoral duties here locally. So I think it's been three weeks that I was away, which is 
usually I, I don't miss uh, many of these at all. And so um, I got to tell you, I missed hearing your voices, praying for you, and taking your prayer requests and, and your um, your Bible questions. And so today, I would love it if you give me a call, uh, just because it's been a, been a minute since I've been here, and I'm glad to be back, and I'd love to hear your voices and take your text messages. So the number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Well, um, with that, uh, let me let me do this as we're waiting for our calls to come in. Um we do have one text message that we're going to get to here in just a moment, but I do want to take the opportunity to tell you about our church and to welcome you personally to join us this coming Sunday. So I mentioned that I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Our church meets, um, I'll give you the address, 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. So what that means is we're on the east side of Longmont in between County Line Road and I-25. And so if you are anywhere along this corridor within driving distance, we'd love to have you come and worship with us this Sunday. Where we're located, we're right on Highway 119, very conveniently located for people both in Longmont and for those who commute in. And we have people who come from, let's say, Loveland, Berthoud, Pinewood Springs, and Estes Park even. We have people who come from the Denver metro area, from Boulder, Erie, Lafayette, uh, the 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 Oh, what are they called? They're called the Twin Towns, I think, Frederick and Firestone and Decono, or Tritown, that's what it is, the Tritown area, Frederick, Firestone, Decono, Mead. And so if you're within any of those areas, we'd love to have you come and worship with us this Sunday. Our church has three services every Sunday morning at 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. Our 9.30 and 11 a.m. services have full children's ministry. Our 8 o'clock service is a family service. And so if any of those times work for you, we'd love to have you. And if you can't join us in person, we'd love it if you join us online. Whitefieldschurch.com is the place where you can find the information about that. And, um, you know, our, our service is posted there on our website and on our YouTube channel and Facebook channel every Sunday. But um, we'd also love it if you just go there and maybe check out some of our past messages. You can watch the videos of those. You can listen to series, even download entire book series from our studies through books of the Bible. We're currently studying through 2 Corinthians in a series that we're calling Strength and Weakness. And for a long time, 2 Corinthians has always been really one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, I think there's just so much in there that is so rich about the hope that we have as Christians in the midst of a world that is um, that is sometimes often and very harsh, and in, in which there's a lot of suffering. It's Paul's most personal letter, and it's the one in which he talks the most about his own struggles and suffering. But he says in chapter 11, I will rejoice in my weaknesses because in my weaknesses, God's strength is made perfect. And so uh, I love this book. And this week, we get into one of my favorite chapters. We're actually going to spend more than one week in this chapter. We're going to look at the first part of it, but it's chapter five of 2 Corinthians, where Paul talks about heaven. And he talks about the hope that we have in heaven, how this hope gives us courage in the face of our trials right now, but it also gives direction to how we spend the days of our lives, because he says that we will come before the judgment seat of Christ, not to be judged for our sins. Jesus already took the judgment for our sins in our place on the cross, but we will be judged for a reward, which means that we live now not to prove ourselves so that we'll go 
to heaven and not to hell. No, 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 that's not how it works. And Jesus took care of that part for us. But no, now we serve and we work looking forward to an eternal reward, looking forward to pleasing our master. And so uh, love this section. Can't wait to share it with you. And one of my favorite things is in verse 11, where he talks about how we know that our works will be judged by God. And therefore he says, therefore we, um, we seek to persuade others because we know the fear of the Lord. And that, that just encourages me because I, I think that we should, you know, if we know the truth of the gospel, it should move us to want to persuade others to believe, to be saved. And he talks about that. He says, we are like ambassadors for Christ. We are pleading with you, be reconciled to God. And that's that kind of heart and passion that comes out of really understanding the gospel. So can't wait to get into it with you, but uh, let's go over to our call in line. Let me give you the numbers real quick, then we'll take our first caller. One more time, the number to call with your questions about the Bible and your prayer request is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000 or text us 720-336-0897. Let's go to Joe in South Carolina. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the program. How you doing, Pastor? I, my question was this. Do you believe that the book of Enoch is true? And if, you know, what's your opinion on it? Because I read it, and I don't know if it's you know, feasible to believe what's going on in that book. Yeah, so I don't believe that the book of Enoch is a... Um is actually canonical, meaning that I don't believe that it should be in the Bible. Now, there's actually two things that we need to take into account when we consider this question of the book of Enoch. Okay, so here's, the, here's where the issue begins. It begins in the book of Jude, right, where Jude quotes right. from the book of Enoch in verses 14 and 15. Here's what he says in Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter. Verses 14 and 15. He says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way. And he goes on. So the point is this. Um, he's quoting from a book of Enoch. Now, I want to make this clear. What then was created later on like you said, you read the book of Enoch. Uh -huh. I, would, I would want you to know that what you're reading as the book of Enoch is, mm -hmm. is probably not the same book of Enoch that Jude is talking about. Right. Rather, what we have now as a book of Enoch is, mm -hmm. is what we call a pseudograph. Now, what a pseudograph is, is when somebody falsely attributes a text in order to give it more credibility. So, for example, if I wanted to say, you know, I want to write a book and I want everybody in America to read it and take it really seriously. So I would write a book and I would say, this book was written by Abraham Lincoln, but it was actually written by me and it was written this year, right? Well, we all know that Abraham Lincoln died a long time ago and it wasn't written by him. It was written by me, but I just put his name on it to give it a little bit more credibility. But that's essentially what happened a lot in, uh, with a lot of cults that came along, especially, um, in, in Judaism, but especially in the early days of Christianity. But it did happen in Judaism, too. And so uh, this book of Enoch refers to something that we only have copies of in the Ethiopian language. And so there's a lot of questions about, like, where does this book come from? You know, what are the origins but, of it? Uh -huh. But it's, re it's really important to understand 
that the well, Jewish. Well, I asked you that question because yeah. I was curious if you thought the book is real or fake, or I, I don't know. I, I mean, there's just too many things in there that uh, even if he did go to heaven, you know, uh, uh, too many things that were revealed in the book that don't make sense, you know. Yeah, so let's put it this way real clearly. The Jewish people uh, do not consider it to be canonical, which means they don't consider it to be scriptural. And there's a reason for that. The Jewish people had their reasons for why they considered certain books of the Bible to be scripture and others not to be. And they never considered Enoch to be scriptural. Rather, it was considered a pseudograph written by people who wanted to propagate ideas that were not biblical. And they, they wrote Enoch's name on it meaning that they attributed it to the Enoch who lived in the book of Genesis chapter 5. I appreciate it. God bless you. Awesome. Thanks for the call. God bless you. You're welcome, sir. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Hey, listening to Calvary Live, the number to call with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720 720- Three three six zero eight nine seven. Once again, seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven is the text line. So let's go over to our text line, and someone has a question. They said, "Hi, I was wondering if anyone knew where to find in the Bible where it talks about the Earth being round." Well, there is one passage in the Bible that uh, comes to mind where it talks about the earth being round. I'm going to look up where it is because I'm not remembering the exact address of it. Um, I believe that it is in the book of Isaiah, and it calls it the circle of the earth. Yeah, so it's here it is, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, and it says this, um, read it. It says, it is he, God, who sits above the circle of the earth. And so so a lot of people have looked at that and they've said, okay, well, how did they know that the earth was a circle? Well, it's actually interesting because um, the, the fact is that even from ancient times, right, they could see the projection of the earth on the moon and see that the earth was casting a round shadow. And so, um, you know, this idea that the Bible teaches that the earth is flat because it talks about the four corners of the earth. Uh, that's really not uh, what the Bible's saying when it says the earth has four corners. It doesn't mean that literally, right? We have to understand the difference between uh, figures of speech and literal speech. So when it says that he hung the circle of the earth in the air, and then in another passage, it says that God, uh, you know, from the four corners of the earth, these creatures came. Um, I think it's it's important to understand that when it talks about the four corners of the earth, that's figurative language. When it talks about the circle of the earth, that's actually uh, meant to be taken in a literal way. And the reason is because, again, even ancient people had a concept that the earth was round because they could see it projected against the moon or, you know, the moon being um, the phases of the moon and how they are shadowed by the circle of the earth. So, uh, the verse you're looking for there, Isaiah 40, verse 22. And so hopefully uh, that is that is one that would work for you. Uh, let me see if there's any others. I'm looking up an article right now. Um, let's see. In Job 22, verse 14, it says that God is described as walking in the circuit of heaven. Uh, although many people don't consider that to be necessarily 
the the word circuit there could mean something else. So that that one's not as like uh, definitely like saying it's a circle. So it would seem that the key verse for this is really Isaiah 40, verse 22. But let's remember this. And this is um, how Pastor Chuck Smith, I remember he always used to say this. He said, look, the Bible is not primarily a book about science. However, when it does touch on issues of science, it's accurate. And I, and I think that that would be a great way to describe this. So the Bible is not essentially setting out to say that the earth is round and not flat. Um, but it certainly doesn't teach that the earth is flat, right? And so I think that's important, right? We we need to understand the purpose of what the Bible intends to do and read it on its own terms, right? So the Bible doesn't isn't going to tell you how to change the oil in your car or how to change your tires when they when you get a flat tire. Uh, but it is going to teach you the things that it intends to teach you. However, when it touches on issues of science, this is what's incredible about the Bible, this book that is thousands of years old, that this book, yet when it touches on issues of science, it is accurate. And so, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Thank you for the text message. So you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. We had a uh, interesting text that came in. I wanted to find that one real quick. The Yeah, here's what it is. This person texted in and they said, um, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, is it referring to literal sacrifices of animals? Well, in order to answer that question, we got to go over and check out that verse. So let's do that right now. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 says this, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Yeah, so it is, okay, the short answer to your question, it is talking about literal sacrifices for, uh, literal animal sacrifices, but you need to understand the context. It's definitely not advocating that there should be more animal sacrifices. Here's what this verse is saying, and it's actually a really important message. So to understand this, just you got to dial back a little bit, zoom out, and really understand the context of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to... Jewish Christians who were considering abandoning Christianity because they were being persecuted. So there was some number, and apparently it was enough to warrant an entire book being written to them, of people who in the early church had been Jews and then became followers of Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah who had been promised to their people through the scriptures over the years, the the promised Savior that God had promised to send. But then, as they began to experience persecution, ostracization from their communities because of their faith in Jesus, many of them were tempted to say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go back to Judaism. Or maybe they'd say, I'm going to believe in Jesus, but I'm going to kind of do it on the down low, kind of in secret. And you know, publicly, I'm just going to, to be a Jew and no longer associate as a Christian but I might believe in it in secret. Now you can understand how this how this might be uh, something that people are tempted to do, especially 
in the face of persecution. I remember uh, when I lived in Debrecen, Hungary, we worked with a lot of uh, refugees. This is back in the early 2000s. And uh, I remember we had several refugees from Muslim countries. Some of them were from the Maldives that I'm thinking of particularly. Others were from Iran. And they had come either as students, some as refugees, and they had become Christians through the ministry of our church and the outreach that we were doing there in the city. And so as we began discipling these people, uh, initially, you know, very excited, very, very interested, wanting to learn the Bible. Many got baptized. But then persecution began to come from their community, right? There began to be pressure from students who were also from their country. In one case, maybe two cases, um, family members from back home in their home countries, the Maldives and Iran, they started sending family members to essentially just like shadow them and make sure that they weren't, you know, going to Christian meetings and weren't associating with Christians. There's one time we were in the mall in this town that we lived in, and we saw this girl who had gotten saved and had been attending our church, but then the community, right, that was part of her um, society, she's from a Muslim country, they began kind of like, they would always never let her be alone. And so I remember we saw her in the mall, and she was kind of surrounded by this group of people, and she made sure that she she kind of like made eye contact with us, but just barely um, and then it was clear that she couldn't, she wasn't allowed to talk to us, right? So you can see that this kind of persecution does exist in many parts of the world, even if it doesn't exist in the, to the same degree where we live even today. And the point is, you know, somebody like that could be tempted to say, okay, just for the sake of my family, for the sake of, you know, difficult life, I'm just going to still believe in Jesus kind of on the down low and I will you know, live functionally as a Muslim. Well, in this case, for the people who the book of Hebrews was written to, their whole thing was that they were going to live as Jews uh, and maybe believe in Jesus. And what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying is, you can't do that, right? To do that is essentially to deny Christ, uh, the one who gave his life for you. And if you deny Christ, and this is the key to Hebrews 10 verse 6, understand there is no other sacrifice for sins right? There's no, nothing else you can do. There's no uh, Hebrew sacrifice that you can make to atone for your sins. Jesus made the final sacrifice once and for all. And there is some debate, and I think this is fascinating, actually, as to whether the book of Hebrews was written prior to the destruction of the temple or after the destruction of the temple, which took place in 70 AD. Most scholars would say it was written prior to the destruction of the temple because what becomes very interesting after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD is from that time until this present day, there has never been a, um, there has never been uh, animal sacrifices taking place in Jerusalem in a literal temple. Now that will, according to Bible prophecy, take place again in the future when the temple is rebuilt and reestablished on the Temple Mount, which is an exciting thing to look forward to and kind of keep your eye on the news for when that will take place. Um, and yet, um, it, it would be interesting if Hebrews was written after 70 AD, you know, and then that would give this verse a little bit different flavor, wouldn't it? Because then the, the writer would be saying, hey, listen, there is literally no way to make sacrifices anymore because we don't even have a temple. But it does seem that, um, again, most scholars would place it around 66 AD, so right before the destruction of the temple. But either way, it's interesting because the sacrifices did end.
So thank you for that question. The real point of that verse is to say, listen, no matter who you are, whether you're a Jew or a person living today, if you turn away from Jesus, just understand there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. To, to give up on Jesus really is to, to forfeit salvation. Now, we could get into questions uh, that pertain as to, is it possible to forfeit or lose your salvation? That's a different issue, but that's certainly what the writer's intending to say here, is that there is salvation nowhere else apart from Jesus. Okay, so uh, thanks for that question. Let's go to our next caller, Zach in Georgia. Hi, Zach. Welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. Uh, okay, I have a question. It's um, about a scripture in Matthew. I think it's, no, I think it's John. Uh, John ten thirty four when Jesus said, "Is is it not written in you? Is it not written in your law that ye are God?" What does he mean by that? Yeah. So to understand that, you need to understand that Jesus is quoting first of all from Psalm eighty two. Okay. So and uh-huh. that that's actually really interesting if you understand that because then you got to figure out what does he mean by that. There's actually a couple theories. But I'll give you the one that I, I believe is most plausible and, and correct. And that is this. Um, so if you go back to Psalm 82, the psalm that Jesus is quoting in John 30, 10, 34, the Hebrew word where it says, ye are gods or you are gods, the word there translated gods is the word Elohim, uh, which means it's it's kind of the general word for God, as opposed to like, for example, it's not the word Yahweh or Jehovah, which is important, right? It's important that he's not saying you are Yahweh. That That's super important. He's saying, but he is saying you are gods. Now, here's what's interesting. That word Elohim is usually translated as God or gods, Elohim being the plural of um El, which is the word for God. But then he is um, he's saying this in Psalm 82, verse 1. So let's just remember, he's quoting Psalm 82, verse 6, Jesus is, in John 10, 34. But if you look at that psalm in totality, Psalm 82, verse 1, the first verse of that psalm says, God presides in the great assembly he gives judgment against uh, a judgment among the gods. Now it's clear from the next few verses there that the word gods refers to judges or what we might call magistrates or those who hold the positions of rule and authority. And so here, here's what this basically comes down to. There's two ways to translate the word Elohim. Elohim can either be translated as gods or it can be translated as judges. And here's what's really interesting. The word Elohim is actually, it is translated as judges at least four other places in the Bible. And in some of those cases, it is referring to human beings. Okay, so so what that all comes down to is saying this. Jesus is saying, you know, he's quoting this psalm to the Jews, reminding them that as the Jews, they have been called to be judges in the sense of the fact that they have been given the law. They have more knowledge about God's will, God's rules, if you will, than other people. And therefore, 
they bear this responsibility. But but again, the other part there, let's remember why is Jesus saying this in John 10? The reason why Jesus is saying this is because they had accused him of blasphemy for asserting that he was God, right? And so Jesus is then saying, okay, wait a second. Well, you're not being consistent. And so he's kind of turning it around on them saying, hey, let's be consistent in how we, we do this. If, uh, if you're getting upset with me for, uh, for saying these things, uh, oh, we've come up to the uh, two-minute break in our show. I'm going to have to pause there and finish it on the other side. So thanks for that question, Zach. We'll be right back in two minutes' time. You're listening to Calvary Live. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm your host every Friday here on Calvary Live where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. And we have pastors standing by to take those calls and pray for those prayer requests and answer your questions about the Bible. We've got one open line currently, so you can give us a call at 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. So right before the break, we were talking to Zach. He had a question about John 10.34, which is a very interesting passage where Jesus quotes from Psalm 82 saying, You are God's. And so, uh, Zach, are you with me? Okay, well, I'm not sure if Zach is with me or not. Oh, Zach dropped. Um, but I just want to finish this up very briefly. Here's the deal. In John 10, Jesus had claimed to be the Son of God. The unbelieving Jews responded by charging Jesus with blasphemy for calling himself God. Jesus then quotes Psalm 82, verse 6, reminding the Jews that the law refers to men as albeit men of authority and prestige, as lowercase, small g, gods. And Jesus' point is this, you, you charge me with blasphemy because I use this title, Son of God, yet your own scriptures apply the same term to magistrates in general. So if those who hold that divinely appointed office can be considered gods, how much more so the one whom God has chosen and sent, who is Jesus the Messiah. So I hope that answers your question. I know that is a... A tricky passage for many people that they get um, a lot of questions about. So, Zach, that's why this show exists, and thank you for calling in. You're listening to Calvary Live. Let's go to our next caller, Rosemary in Frederick, Colorado. Hi, Rosemary. Welcome to the program. Hi, Rosemary. Looks like we might have lost Rosemary as well. Um, But here's what uh, Rosemary's prayer request was. Uh, I see it written here in the notes. Rosemary had a prayer request. Uh, She just recently had a stroke, and she would like prayer for healing and restoration. So let's pray for her. Heavenly Father, we do pray for Rosemary. Thank you that she's able to listen to this program, and even in the midst of her recovery from the stroke, she's able to be fed spiritually. Lord, we pray for her, and we pray that as she is recovering, Lord, that you you would heal what has been damaged 
in her brain, in her nervous system, and in her body. Lord, we just ask that you would heal her body, give her back the abilities that she perhaps lost that need to be built back. Lord, we pray that there wouldn't be permanent damage. And Lord, we also pray that this would be a time through which you're teaching Rosemary things that she cannot learn in any other way. Lord, things about dependence upon you, things about trusting you in the midst of a hardship, lessons of humility, Lord, because we know your word says that you give grace to the humble, but you resist the proud. Oftentimes we, we wonder, okay, well then how do I be humble? And sometimes that humility comes through times when we have to be dependent on others and learn to be dependent on you. But whatever it is you want to do during this time in her life as she's going through this process of healing and restoring, Lord, I pray that you would do it to its fullness. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. Glad to be back with you. Uh, give me a call. The number to call with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests is seven. Or, sorry, 303-690-3000. One more time, 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Well, just to tell you a few of the things that I've been up to, as I, I mentioned, I host the show every Friday, but I have been away for three weeks. And uh, one of the things that I was doing one of those weeks was I was in Austria. And the reason I was in Austria is because Calvary Chapel, our network of churches, has a retreat center there in Austria. And what we were able to do is with some of the money that perhaps even some of you gave to Calvary Chapel for the Ukraine Relief Fund, we took some of that money and we held a retreat for pastors, ministry leaders, and aid workers from Ukraine and those who maybe they're not Ukrainian, maybe they're missionaries, or maybe they're local church leaders from Hungary, Poland, Romania, Moldova, who have been involved in the war um, in by providing uh, humanitarian aid in Ukraine. So they, they've been seeing just horrific things. They've been experiencing a lot of stress. Uh, we were able to do a retreat for them and really minister to their souls and really, uh, you know, help to give them some respite away away from war, a place to be safe, and a, and a time away with their families. We had Bible teaching. We had a lot of prayer, a lot of listening to people and the things they've been through, and it was a huge blessing. And I'll just tell you, if there are those of you who um, maybe a few months ago you were praying a lot for Ukraine, uh, maybe some of you even gave financially to help those in Ukraine, ministry leaders and church leaders, uh, I just even yesterday— I was in California meeting with some Ukrainian missionaries and pastors. And, um, and I will tell you this, the problems in Ukraine have not stopped. They're, they're continuing, even if they're not at the forefront of the news as much as they used to be. Uh, things are very, very hard there. Very, and we need to pray for an end to this war. The second thing I would tell you is this, even in the midst of this war, there are some amazing opportunities. These pastors I was talking to yesterday, they are taking a trip in about one week from now to do a scouting trip in Ukraine because they said, you know, the entire population of the country has essentially shifted and been moved around. And what they're praying about doing, and can you imagine this? They're praying about planting new churches in Ukraine right now, right? While the war is going on, because they said there, there are 
you know, entire cities of people. They said, for example, uh, Mariupol, the city, as, as many of you may have known, that was really decimated early on, 120,000 people have left that city and gone to the nearest large city. And in that city, they're like, well, that city is just swollen with people and there's a great opportunity, there's a great receptivity to the gospel. So be praying for Ukraine, be praying for an end to the war, be praying for those who um, who are at risk of the vulnerable, and but also be praying for the great spiritual work that God is doing. Because right now, it's one of those situations that Jesus talked about, right? That the fields are white for the harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest, God, would send workers into the harvest field. Well, let's go to our next a caller in Pennsylvania. We've got Folio. Welcome to the program. Yeah. Hi there. What did I get your Hi. name right? Yes. Okay. That's great. great. So the reason I'm calling is I'm I'm calling to ask for advice about um, looking for a new church uh, family and you know body of Christ because um, I'm just too far from. Uh, I, the church I've been going to, Calvary Chapel of Marlton, which is a wonderful church, mm-hmm. is just a little too far for me. I I travel for my work all around the city and and the suburbs, and it's just you know, I, it's just too much trouble. It's just too much work. <laughs> I just have no. to I have to become more localized. So, um, okay. what what would I look for? What how would yeah. I? How would I monitor that or manage that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the things you're going to be looking for, I would start with theology. Like for me, that's the first thing I'm going to be looking for. Um, I want to make sure that this is a church that honors the word of God, um, you know, meaning that they they take it seriously. They take it literally. They They have it as their, what we would call their rule of faith, which means that the Bible gets to be our standard for how we do things and how we live and the kind of things that are taught there. And so I, I, what I've found is that when that is lax, it affects everything in the church. It affects the way the church is run functionally. It affects so many things. It's not just about what is spoken. It's how what is believed works out in every layer of the church. So that's why, for me, that's like number one. What is their theology? What do they believe about the Bible? And then I might, you know, you got to decide what are those secondary doctrines that are really important to you. Um, and so, I, but I wouldn't start with those, but I would make those kind of the next tier, which was to say, okay, let's say you find a church that, you know, a certain group of churches and you whittle it down based on, you know, those who are really strong on the Bible, teach it, believe it, and um, they believe it's God's word and that it speaks to today and they actually teach it well. So that would be number one. Number two, then then you can start looking at things like, okay, do they do their beliefs on eschatology, right? Do they line up with the scriptures in, in the way that you understand them? Um, how about their beliefs in church practice, right? How are they governed and how are they led? Those are very important things um, as for the health of a church. So um, those would be kind of the two main things that I, I'm looking for. And I'm also looking for this. I, I think that as the as a church, right? We're called not to be an insular group that focuses primarily on ourselves, but that we should have a missional ethos, which means that we believe that we are part of God's body in the world, not just for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of others. 
right? So he's called us to himself, but he's also called us to join him in his mission in the world. So I'd want a biblical, like a very strong biblical doctrine and teaching. Secondly, I think you look at some of their secondary doctrines and the way the church is led. And thirdly, you're looking for a missional ethos. So those are the things that I would recommend. Okay, that's great. Yeah, that's very helpful. Thanks. Yeah, and you know, I mean, there are some, um, you know, networks of churches that exist basically to help you find like-minded churches. And of course, a good place to start for that, I'm going to tell you, is calvarychapel.com. You go there, there's a church finder, and they should be able to help you find uh, churches within your local area. If that doesn't work, I think there are some other networks that are worth considering as well. All right, great. Yeah, I've... Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Hey, listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. Let's go to our next caller, Michelle in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the program. Hi. Um, I was calling because I just wanted prayer because there's a part of my heart that I just feel like I just can't trust God. I, I mean, as far as, like, to take care of me, I mean, there's some stuff, I guess, that happened in my past or whatever that I was really dependent on God to look after me, and it went really bad. So it's kind of like I kind of put this wall or something up in there, and so it's like everything, you know, in my life right now is going kind of crazy or whatever, and I'm supposed to be able to relax and trust God, but I just... I just don't, and it's like I'm always wondering, what did I do wrong mm. to, to, to bring all this stuff on? And my husband keeps telling me, well, you trust God, trust God. I'm trying to, but mm-hmm. it's just a part of me that just feel like he's going to fail me, which I know God doesn't fail people, but it's <laughs> mm. spirit. There you have it. I see. Okay, I can see that this is you know, something is touching your life very personally. And so I can hear that in your voice. Um, you know, a few, few things that I would say to you, I, I would say uh, in second Corinthians chapter one, Paul talks about how um, the whole point of the chapter by the whole point of the book, by the way, is this, this point that as a Christian, in this world, we will have tribulation. Remember, that's what Jesus said. He said that in John chapter 16. In this world, you will have tribulation. It's actually really comforting. I, I think in the past, you know, I've joked that that's one of the least popular promises in the Bible. I still think it's one of the least popular promises in the Bible. But on the other hand, maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe it should actually be comforting. And the reason it's comforting is because it tells us that when bad things happen to us, um, that doesn't mean that God has abandoned us, failed us, or that we have failed, and now God is removing his uh, blessing from us, or that God is punishing us in some way. That's such an important promise. When Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, in other words, expect it to be normal, the hope of following Jesus is not that our lives will be easy and perfect here and now, but the hope comes in the very next thing that Jesus said, which is, he didn't just say, in this world you will have tribulation. He also said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. 
And so that's where we go to like passages like Second Corinthians chapter four, where Paul talks about how he says, if we have this hope um, that we that comes in Jesus, then we can be afflicted in every way, but we won't be crushed. We can be perplexed, but we won't be driven to despair. We can be persecuted, but we know that we're not forsaken. We can be struck down and know that we're not destroyed. And, and this is really important because people actually in Paul's time accused him, they, kind of like Job. Do you remember the story of Job? Job suffers a lot, and then people say to him, Job, the reason you're suffering must be because you did something wrong, and God is not blessing you. And Job says, I don't think that's the case. But then God finally speaks up at the end of the book of Job and says, no, 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 that's not how it works. It isn't that if bad things happen to you that God has abandoned you or failed you. Rather, that is what it means. That, that's the reason why Jesus had to come, because this is a fact of the world that we live in, that we will have tribulation in it. And so, Michelle, I would just want to comfort you in saying that this is, this is a really important message throughout the Bible, that... Um, if you look at the Bible, have you ever thought about this? Every single person in the Bible suffered greatly. Like all the people that we look to as being beautiful people in the Bible, I actually have a list of them. I could I could read you the list if you're interested, but it's actually a really interesting list. And the point of it is to say this, that um, those who experience these things, God wasn't letting them down. In fact, this is things they experienced because of the brokenness of this world. And yet God is a redeemer and he's actually even able to use those bad things for good and for his purposes. It doesn't mean that he causes them to happen, but it does mean that he redeems them and uses them for good. So, so let me read you this list. Uh, Moses had a speech impediment. Tamar was sexually assaulted. J Jacob limped. Ruth was widowed in her youth. David was betrayed by friends and family. Sarah was infertile. Mordecai was bullied. Hosea's wife was unfaithful to him. Elijah battled depression. All of the prophets were persecuted. Mary and Joseph had to flee from a corrupt government. John Mark was fired by Paul. Peter denied Jesus, and Mary and Martha had to bury their brother in his youth. And so you look at all these people and the whole point of God telling us their stories is to help us to understand that when things happen in our lives, even things that we didn't want to happen, maybe even things that we prayed would not happen. In some of those cases, that, that is what happened to those people that I listed. They prayed that those things would not happen and they did. And the point of those stories is also to show us that in those situations, God had not failed them, God had not abandoned them, and God wasn't punishing them. God was with them in the midst of that, and he was giving them hope beyond this life. And that is the hope that we have in the gospel. On the one hand, first of all, that God will be with us in this life. And secondly, that we will be with God in the, the days to come after this life. So that's the hope of the gospel. And, and I would want you to know that most of all before anything else, that that's what it means to trust in Jesus is you know, you can even say, when you trust in Jesus, you can say, Jesus, I have no idea why you allowed this to happen, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to trust you, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't come naturally, even when, when I don't feel like it, I'm trusting very well. 
let's put it this way. I'll give you one last analogy and then I'll pray for you. You know, if you were, imagine you were on the side of a steep cliff, right? Like a steep mountain. And, mm-hmm. and as you were standing on the, on the edge of this steep cliff, the ground beneath you began to slip out and you began to slide down that mountain. And the only thing to keep you from sliding all the way down was a, a small branch that was sticking out of the side of the mountain. Well, here's the thing. You may not have much faith in the ability of that branch to hold you. But if that branch can hold you, then your faith in its ability to do so isn't really what's important. What matters is having just enough faith to say, okay, I'm going to try and hold on to it and I'll see if it can hold me. Right. And so when you reach out in faith and reach onto that branch, even if your faith is weak, that branch will be able to hold you. And so that, yeah, that's what it's like to trust in Jesus with weak faith is to say, it's not the strength of my faith that saves me. It's the strength of the one in whom I place my faith, Jesus. And I I will tell you this, the Bible makes it very clear. He is mighty to save even when we don't, uh, don't believe that he is or don't feel like he is. Okay. Well, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for Michelle, and I, I just think, Lord, as your word says, that you will not, uh, a bruised reed, you will not break. Lord, a smoldering wick, you will not snuff out. And what it feels a lot like Michelle is a smoldering wick right now. And I pray, Lord, that rather than uh, letting her be snuffed out in her faith, Lord, that you would fan back into flame and, and reignite that flame of faith that she desires to have. And so, Lord, I pray that she would be able to trust in you in the midst of this and say, like the, the, the man did who came to you in the Gospel of Mark, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, just comfort her in this time and help her to trust in you and walk with you as she goes about her days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Absolutely. God bless you. you Let's too. go. Bye. Let's Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We've got only a few minutes left in the show. Let's go to Tommy in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Oh, I see this. Actually, Tommy wasn't able to stay on the line, but he did leave his question. He said, can you explain Proverbs 27, verse 14? Let's go over there to Proverbs 27. Here's what it says. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Yeah, this is actually a really funny uh, parable. I mean, here's the thing that, that needs to be understood about it. Some of the parables are in Proverbs, right? Some of the Proverbs that are written there are meant to be funny, right? And they're meant to be, um, yeah, kind of ironic and and funny. And so, um Tommy's question was, it seems like a good thing to be wishing someone a good morning, right? Like to be blessing them in the morning. Um, But here's what it's describing. It's describing somebody who like goes out early in the morning while his neighbor is sleeping and starts like shouting loudly in order to bless him. Now, is is it good to bless people? Of course. Is it also good to be respectful and let people sleep? Yes, that's also good too, right? I mean, like here would be an equivalent to this. Like, let's imagine that you went to your neighbor's house um, 
next door at like four in the morning when you know that your neighbor's sleeping and, and just were like, Hey, bless you, brother, bless you, sister. Maybe you start ringing their doorbell and just like you get a bullhorn in their yard and you're like, Hey, I just want to bless you and pray for you. It's like, yeah, well, blessing and praying is good, but, um, like that's kind of inappropriate for you to be waking this guy up and doing this thing with the bullhorn. Why are you doing that? Are you trying to get attention for yourself? Right? Like, look at me. I'm an early riser who blesses people. I mean, can't you wait until nine o'clock and just go and bless them politely as opposed to yelling in their yard? Right? So it's speaking about, um, here's how I would put that verse in order to put it in kind of like layman's terms is to say, Hey, look, if you do spiritual looking things, um, kind of just to get attention for yourself, but you do them or you do them at weird times. Like you can actually do a spiritual thing in a wrong way and it not be good, right? So there are times when you could do something that appears spiritual, say praying, blessing, whatever it might be, um, and yet you do it in such a way where it's actually carnal. It's actually not, um, you know, being led by God or honoring God. And that's that's the point of that verse. So, Tommy, great question. Let's go to our next caller, probably our last caller for the day, Ben in Elizabeth, Colorado. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the program. I'm a little confused why that occurred. Uh, what we're now, what, why start again? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So this is one of the questions that people often ask, and I'm not sure that everybody who's listening heard your question because you were breaking up a little bit. But um, your question was essentially this. Will there be sacrifices in the millennial kingdom? And if so, why would that be if Jesus already saved us? So there is some debate over whether there will be sacrifices in the millennial kingdom. The argument for there being sacrifices in the millennial kingdom kind of goes like this. In the book of Ezekiel, there appears to be uh, a third temple, right? So we have the first temple in the time of Solomon, the second temple, um, which is in the time of the exiles returning from Babylon, right? Zerubbabel and the, the exiles rebuild the temple. We read about that in the minor prophet books and some of the history books like um, uh, Nehemiah and um, Ezra. And then, um, so that's the second temple. Then here's what a lot of people get confused about is that the temple is then refurbished by um, uh, around the time of Jesus by Herod the Great. And so that's still the second temple, but that's sometimes called Herod's temple, which essentially he expanded the temple. And then there's a third temple that will come in the future as we read in the book of Ezekiel, right? So the temple is going to be rebuilt and we're told the dimensions of it and all these things. Ezekiel sees it in a vision. We're also uh, told about a temple in the book of Revelation and a priestly order and all of these things. And so, um, so many people believe the temple will be rebuilt. I agree with that. And that in the millennial kingdom, there will be a temple. Now here's the question. Will there be sacrifices in the millennial kingdom? I actually believe there will not be sacrifices, even though there will be a temple and there will be this priestly order reestablished because Jesus makes it clear in Hebrews chapters 9 and 10 that Jesus made the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. 
Now, not all sacrifices, like if you look at the book of Leviticus, it lists seven different sacrifices, which were given for seven different purposes. Not all of those purposes were to atone for sins. However, all of those sacrifices were fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So there was the fellowship offering, for example, or the offering of dedication. Now, the point of those is to say, you know, you're coming, you're saying, I want to have fellowship with God, so I'm making this offering. Again, that was fulfilled in Jesus too, not just the sin offering, but the fellowship offering, that through Jesus' sacrifice, now we have fellowship with God. So I believe there will be a temple, but I don't believe there will be sacrifices. But again, there's some debate on that. Some people do believe there will be, and they, they have their reasons, but I'll give you mine. Does that help, Ben? Yeah. God bless you. Have a good God day. bless you. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. We've come to the end of our show. We have one minute left. Hey, I'm going to use this last minute to tell you about this. I wrote a book a few months ago. It's been out. It's been selling very well. But if you haven't yet got a copy, I'd be honored if you'd check it out. You can find it on my website, nickkady.org. That's N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y.org. And if you click the menu there, you can go and click the button for book. And the book is all about answering a lot of the questions that we, we tend to get here on the radio show, right? It, the title is The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common barriers to embracing Christianity. It was born out of discussions that we had at our church in helping people to embrace Jesus, and I hope that it would be a resource to you, both devotionally and maybe equipping you to be able to answer some questions people have. Hey, well, thank you for listening to Calvary Live today. We'll be back again next week, Monday through Friday, with Calvary Live, 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time every weekday. God bless you. Have a safe drive and a great weekend. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.